This is week three of our series, and what we've been doing is basically talking about like the different movements in the church. And this week we want to talk about the seeker-friendly movement. So it's kind of fitting today that our announcements were not uh, seeker-friendly. How'd you guys feel about that? Now you might not know it, okay, but here's the thing. Almost every major church in this region, probably, probably within 75 miles, they all in some way, shape, or form learn from the seeker-friendly movement, meaning we have to find a way to make people as comfortable as possible. You don't know this. You have no idea how much time goes into thinking through every detail of most services in this area, okay? I mean, every detail. The lighting, the, the graphics, the way that the sound is, the EQ of the sound, how quickly they transition. So when someone's up here and they're giving you announcements with the microphone, if they take too long, and if they don't know like, where they're going with the microphone, if they do this at all, it bothers you. You don't know it, but it does. You feel it. If people don't know what's going on, if someone's up here and like, they have their announcements, it might be beautiful, but they don't know what they're supposed to be saying. Oh, I forgot Facebook check-in. <laughs> She's my wife. It's okay. It affects the flow. It makes people uncomfortable. Because, okay, here's the thing. Who's a fan of The Office? Okay, thank you. I couldn't watch that show for about five years. I couldn't watch it because I'd put it on, and with my personality type, the awkward that happens in every episode, I would feel it. It would make me just crawl on the inside. I couldn't watch the show because even though it wasn't happening to me, watching it, I could feel it. Now, the seeker-friendly movement tells us this. It tells us that people make choices not on, on logic or reason. They make choices on feelings. When someone comes to Grace for the first time, it's not really about how great the worship is or how awesome the nursery is or, or how, how pretty the campus is or how amazing uh, the sermon was. They will come back or not based on one thing, how they feel when they leave this room, how they feel. Everything is about feelings for us. We are emotional beings. Yes, we have, we have brains and reason, but most of the time we make choices based on feelings. How do we feel? And then we rationalize those feelings. So I might feel like I don't want to come back, but I'll have to find an excuse. I'll say, well, you know, I, I wasn't really a big fan of the sermon. That pastor, he's kind of a heretic. You know, we're not going to come back. But what it really is, is there's a feeling. There's something that just doesn't feel the way I want it to. I want to feel comfortable. And there's all sorts of factors that go into the way you feel, okay? So, for example, thank you to the seeker-friendly movement that you, most of you, do not have ties on. Who has a tie this morning? Oh, my Lord. Not a single one of you has a tie? Who went to churches when you guys were kids, okay, and a tie was not optional? If you came in without a tie, you would get the look. Excuse me, sir. They would even keep extra ties in the pastor's office. Did you guys know that we have a collection of burgundy blazers? Same colors of chairs. Slightly richer, kind of like this right here. And the church who inhabited this building before us were amazing, awesome people. But the culture at that time said, the ushers wear blazers. When you showed up to ush... You ushed in style. 
in this building, okay? And so when you would come in, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Gage is like, oh, yes, I know. <laughs> you would put those, those babies on, and you have a gold pin right here, said Usher in it, some little bling to go with it, because it was the expected. But since then, what has affected the landscape of churches is the seeker-friendly movement, which told them this. Even though you like the blazers, the majority of people do not want to dress up for church. It's a Sunday morning. They've had a long week. PJ is, is on the TV. They could stay home in their lazy boy recliner. And the difference between having to come in a t-shirt or come in a suit could be the difference between them getting saved. Is that terrible? Okay, how about this? The quality of music in large churches has gone through the roof in the last 15 years. Would you like to know why? Because the seeker-friendly movement says this. If you don't have good quality experience, meaning music, guess what? I can get better at home on my TV, on my couch. How about this? Most churches, I won't say all churches, some churches, <laughs> I'll say this nicely, most churches in the last 15 years, if they are a large church, the quality of speaking on the stage has gone through the roof. The annual salary of large church pastors has gone through the roof. Do you think it's because they are good pastors? Do you think it's because they are extremely intelligent people? Do you think it's because they are extremely godly people? <laughs> I saw two heads going. It is because they are gifted public speakers. And they are cute. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> to that note, I want you to pay attention the next time that you go to a very large church or a church that is trying to be large, I want you to look on the stage. I want you to see, I want you to count how many ugly people are on the stage. And I want you to come back and tell me. I'm telling you right now. Now, I'm poking fun, okay? But the secret friendly movement says this. You have to meet people where they are. Even if it is silly, even if it's shallow, even if it shouldn't make sense. You have to meet them where they are. So to kind of summarize this approach, the book of Acts in chapter 17 with the Apostle Paul, this is kind of the, the, uh, the cornerstone for where they get their argument in Scripture. See, we have to be the type of people that meet people where they are. We don't make them come to us, we go to them. Because see, in chapter 17, this is the first time the gospel message is ever spoken without the Hebrews. Uh, scriptures. Think about that. This is the first time the gospel of Jesus is shared without using the Hebrew scriptures. This is the apostle Paul way outside of his comfort zone. You have to understand something. As you read this, you're reading it reading, oh, here's the apostle Paul. He's a sharp guy, intelligent guy. He is, you know, he, he's taking it to the Greeks. He's, you know, he, he's bringing the brilliance of the gospel. Actually, the context of this is, is, is different. He's being brought into this circle to be made fun of. He's being poked at. You have to understand something. Apostle Paul is the smartest man in almost every room he walks into in the Scriptures, except for this room. He's not the smartest man in this room. 
He's being brought in front of people to be made fun of. His ideas are so ridiculous that they're going to put him on display just to laugh at him. That's what's happening here. And he's sitting here, and he's already tried the angle of trying to share the Jewish Scriptures. How do I connect the gospel of Jesus to these people who don't care at all about my Scriptures? Or I'll translate the, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll translate that to church stuff. These people don't care at all about our awesome songs. These people don't care at all about the book that we carry around and we think is valuable. These people don't care at all about church history or about sound doctrine. How do I connect the gospel of Jesus to people who do not value the things that I value? How do I bring them in to the gospel of Jesus? So the Apostle Paul, he does something here. He chooses to meet them on their own ground. And so he quotes two different poets. And the first one he quotes is what you call an Epicurean poet, meaning this novel, if you want to call it that, that he quotes, when he, in him we live and move and we have our being. When he quotes this, he's quoting a piece of literature which is full of, of how do I say this, taboo material. It would be as if I had to preach the gospel to people who didn't know anything about Jesus and I chose to teach them about Jesus through 50 shades of gray. Let's find something absolutely taboo, but everyone in this room knows what it is. Oh, yes, you do know what it is. <laughs> and so he quotes something because it has shock value, meaning the moment he speaks these words, they're going, oh, wow, okay, I can see that. Because he's got two made audiences got the Epicureans who say that life is all about pleasure, meaning have as much fun as you can while you can. And then he's got the Stoics. And the Stoics are the opposite, saying all of that pleasure stuff is just focused life on the mind, the human mind. And so after he quotes that to all the Epicureans, now he's going to quote something to the Stoics. And so he quotes a second poet. And he quotes a Stoic poet. And he says, and we are all God's offspring, just as your own poet has said. Now, what he's just done is he just did exactly what I did a few months ago whenever I quoted Kanye West. Do you guys remember that? The prophet Kanye. Do you guys remember that Sunday? And everyone was shocked, offended, that I would read a rap verse in this room, right? But what happened was I was able to take something and to bring a dramatically different angle to connect you to a truth which you would have missed otherwise. And this is the argument of the seeker-friendly movement. It says this. It doesn't matter how sacred the Eucharist might be or the Scriptures might be. You've got to find a way to meet people where they are. How do you feel about that? Come on. It's the only way. You've got to meet people where they are. So what that means is this. If, if parents cannot focus on God because they've got too many kids... <laughs> You have to find a way to take care of all of their kids. If parents care more about their kids than their own well-being, then you have to make sure that you have a ministry that meets these kids at age zero, two, five, seven, youth. Work them all the way up. Because if you get the kids, baby, you get who? The parents. And the parents got the what? He'd love to minister to kids, but here's the problem. If all we do is minister to kids and not parents, what would happen? Yeah. The lights would be turned out, right? The idea of having ministry geared to children 
is one of the youngest ideas in the Christian church. Before that, the entire concept of children was this. We're just going to prepare them to enter the room with the adults. That's all the church did. How do we give them information to prepare them to enter the room? And even this was done in the room. We're all in the same space. We're going to pay people to come into a church and to run the sound and the lighting. Why? Because if the sound isn't on point, if the lighting is wrong, if, if the church can't afford good lighting and it makes the pastor look like he has like dark eyes, they might be intimidated of the pastor. Okay, you guys haven't noticed that? Okay. <laughs> if we don't have... Okay, we know the gospel isn't about LED lights. We know the gospel isn't about, like, the garden lights going on. But it might help. We know Jesus didn't have a, a fog machine. But he wasn't ministering in the 22nd century. Right? He could have had a fog machine. Imagine what Jesus could have done with LED lights and a fog machine. <laughs> That's all we're saying. So the argument is this. At what point is making the effort to meet people where they are a distraction or a hindrance to the gospel? For example, eating the flesh and blood of a God incarnate who died and who rose again and is going to return isn't very seeker-friendly. We're going to eat some flesh and drink some blood, not of animals, but of a God who became human, who died, who went to heaven somewhere, which isn't really up there. It's kind of out there. And he's coming back in a body, but he's part of a God who's actually three parts, who's, who's a, a human and a spirit and a father, and he's the son. When I spell it out for you, does that make a lot of sense to you? If it was your first time to ever hear of this concept, what would you think about that? You would think the same thing that the Greeks thought about that. You would think that these people are animals. Because you would hear stories about people who meet in secret, who close the doors, and who eat human flesh and drink human blood because you believe it's God's blood and flesh. And then you would think that they're baby snatchers. You know why? Because babies start missing on the streets when Christians show up. Babies whose parents have left them to die, all of a sudden they disappear on the streets. And the only people we know who eat humans is those Christians. So you start having these ideas that babies are being baked into the bread. You think, this is church history, people. And you thought church history was boring. This is good stuff. I want you to understand something. The Eucharist is one of the most non-seeker-friendly concepts that the church has. And when you go to a church that is fully committed to seeker-friendly approach to church, this will be one of the most minimized things in the, in the worship setting. You know, the concept of singing songs and playing instruments was absolutely foreign to them to call that worship. To the early Christians, this was worship. This was celebration. But we can't sell this very well. You know why? 
It's foreign. It's, it's silly. It's a little bit spooky and weird, to be honest. Okay, how about this one? What we're going to do is if you want to be, if you want to go to a different galaxy when you die, when you die and you want to go to a different galaxy where it's not hot and there's not flames, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take you and we're going to walk you into the water buck naked after three years of preparation and you are going to take your clothes off and get baptized into water naked because going under the water naked with your new church family somehow is going to mean that when you die, you go to a better place. Does that make sense to you? You ever wonder why we get baptized with clothes on now? Because it makes you uncomfortable. And you won't want to do it if you're uncomfortable. But you know what they used to do? Naked, baby. How you feel about that? So, so I think we all need to get rebaptized, right? Yeah. Yeah, those are the guys who'd be first in line, yeah. So the question is this. If we all agree that there's value in meeting people where they are, how do we make sure that this doesn't water down our encounter with God? Because here's the issue. The issue with the seeker-friendly movement, if the value is that it teaches us to go out of our way to meet people where they are, and it teaches us that we have to major on the majors, we cannot major on minor things, if we wear suits or not, which some people would think that's a major. The weakness of this movement is that sometimes it's willing to compromise and sacrifice things which make others uncomfortable, which are the very things that make it Christian. The problem is this. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus, correct? To be a follower of the Christ. And the biggest issue we have is that to follow Jesus, there's one symbol which throughout history has kind of risen to the top about what it means to be a Christian. It's a symbol that we wear on our clothes. We have, you know, some necklaces. We put things in our church buildings. It's a what? It's a cross. And this symbol is not meant to be a symbol of comfort. This is a symbol of sacrifice, of death, correct? Yes, it means life and resurrection. Absolutely. After you get on it, correct? After you get naked and you get, in, get under that water and we do this, this, this action which is supposed to remind you that right now your entire life is being put onto a cross, being killed and it's dying so that when you rise, nothing of your old self exists. Everything about your new life is now fully submitted to following Jesus, who, by the way, because of the way of Jesus, what happens to people in the history? They get killed. To follow Jesus... Is, it's hard to characterize it as anything other than being uncomfortable, than doing the opposite of what you would want to do for yourself. So, if there is a dance partner, okay, we're going to call this, okay, the seeker-friendly cha-cha slide, right? It's a dance for everybody. Everybody can do it, right? Cha-cha to the left, right? It's not hard right? Everybody can do it. We can get in the line and we can all just do a little cha-cha and a little right, a little cha-cha. You know what I'm talking about? Cha-cha to the right. 
two times, right? <laughs> what is the dance partner to take a dance that everyone, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the worst part. What, <laughs> okay, the cha-cha slide is great because everyone can do it, but there's something wrong with the cha-cha slide. What is it? It's corny. It's cheesy, and you shouldn't ever want to be caught doing it, correct? I'm just a fuddy-duddy, okay, boo me all you want, okay, I'm sorry, all right. The cha-cha slide is awesome, all Christians should cha-cha slide, okay. So what dance partner does the seeker-friendly cha-cha slide need? Because it's lacking something, it's lacking substance, right? What if we paired it with a contemporary dance? Now, I'm not going to do that. Have you guys seen a contemporary dance, right? It's a guy or gal or multiple wearing very, very tight clothing, and they're doing very, very dramatic, emotional moves, right? Right? And the entire dance, it's not about dancing. It's about communicating a story, a message, a meaning, right? Not everyone can do a contemporary dance. I mean, you could try, I guess. But it's difficult. It takes a lot of time. It, it, it's, it's uncomfortable. You are expressing deep, vulnerable emotions with your body in very tight clothing. It's pretty close to old baptism, pretty much. If there's a dance partner that the, the secret friendly movement needs to be paired with, it's Progressive Christianity. Now, when I talk about this, I'm not, I'm not talking about like uh, progressive theology. What I'm saying is this, is the branch of the church, the progressive branch of the church, which places the greatest emphasis that believes that being a Christian is about taking care of the least of these. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Matthew 25. And so if the seeker-friendly movement is based in Acts 17, the progressive movement is based in Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So, Progressive Christianity says this. Oh yeah? You think you're saved because you said a prayer? You think you, are, you walk with Christ because you go to church? You think you are a, a great spiritual leader because you have a big church? Well, what do you do with Matthew 25? Which just told you, if you turn away a stranger, a stranger if you look away from someone in need, if you don't, do, if you don't take, take care of those who are hungry or naked or oppressed, if you don't intentionally go out of your way to take care of those who this world is pushing to the bottom, you have one destination, the fires of hell. How seeker-friendly is that? 
I doubt any of these churches are preaching this verse today, correct? What's so scary about this passage is that, is that he doesn't limit it to the ones he calls out. He doesn't limit it to the stranger or to the hungry or to the naked. He says, to all of the least of these, which means this, whoever in your world, in your time, is being pushed down. If you do not speak up, stand up, and act for them, you have one destination. Who in our culture, in the South, in the Bible Belt of the United States of America, in 2018, is being pushed down? Well, we've been having some debates about the immigrants, haven't we? Have we been doing that lately? Would you guys like to talk about that today? Detention camps. We call them strangers in this verse, but what do we call them here? Illegals. Now, oh, Devin, that's not for the church. That's a political issue. Okay, that's fine. As long as you are willing to wrestle with this, as long as you're willing to sleep at night knowing that this might not apply to you. Because if it does, the words of Jesus say that you're going where? A one-stop ticket to where? Eternal damnation. Terrific. Hope you guys have a great night. I'll see you guys tomorrow. If there's anything that can slap the seeker-friendly movement and wake them up a little bit, it's the extreme other side, which is the progressive movement. To be seeker-friendly is to remove anything that would make anyone uncomfortable to let them all have an on-ramp into the church. To be a progressive is to get in the face of everyone in power, everyone who's comfortable, and to say, no, 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 I don't care who you are or what you're doing. These people matter because I am a follower of Jesus. Oh, imagine that dance that they'd have to figure out, to dance together, right? And so I've got pastor friends who pastor monster churches. And so I see them on Facebook every day, and their posts are always clean and safe and happy and sunny. And then I've got pastor friends who are leaders in the progressive movement. And every day it is a fight. Every day is it a war. Every day we're going after this leader in the church or this leader in, in politics. And we are calling out things that are wrong because to be a follower of Jesus is to take care of anyone who's being pushed down. Now, what do we do in the middle? Is there a middle ground? Now, I just showed you. You know, I could spend a lot, you know, we could, we could go on both of these, these topics for months. I, I can say this. I have learned so much from the seeker-friendly movement. It has helped us understand that there are things that we were trying to worship which weren't God. There were requirements for how people dress. There were, you know, requirements for the type of worship and who got to take Eucharist and who didn't. There were all sorts of things that we made priorities which were hindrances. They kept people back from Jesus. There were things that we needed to throw to the side. I've learned things from the seeker-friendly movement. But I cannot ignore progressive Christianity. And every morning when my friends, and every morning when Twitter or when the news tells me there are people being pushed down, out, and away, will I ignore it? 
Let me say this to you. Probably about three years ago. So we launched Grace about four and a half years ago. And when we launched this church, we were following the book, the seeker-friendly book. And we were growing like crazy. I think it was like 150 to 300% growth every year. But as leaders, we talked and prayed, and we just couldn't fully commit to that. It wasn't who we were. It wasn't the Jesus that we know. It wasn't the faith that we know. So we had to make changes. Every single year since then, we have continually added things which I believe are faithful to Jesus, the Scriptures, and church history. Things that you need to grow and to mature. But there's a problem with that. For, for you to grow and to mature, you have to be made what? Uncomfortable. I don't know many people who got faster, stronger, healthier by sitting on a couch being comfortable. It takes intentionality. To diet is not comfortable. To exercise is not comfortable. To learn is not comfortable. It's uncomfortable. To trade off. So every year at this church, we have continued to be more and more non-seeker friendly. And you know what? We've just, the growth has gone to 500%. No. So every year, the percentage growth goes down. Every year. Now we're still growing, still healthy, but it's slow. So according to our numbers, if I would not have changed anything, if I just would have got up here and entertained you every single Sunday, and we would have kept the lights great and the AC perfect and the music great, and we would have done everything smooth, and we wouldn't have prayed for people because that's boring, and you know, Lord's Prayer and Eucharist, that's all boring. Let's take all that out, and let's just keep everything comfortable. The numbers tell us Grace Church would be around 800 people right now. 800 people right now. We've had close to 4,000 people come through these doors in four years. Think about that. That's a lot of potential. And Secret Friendly Movement says, find a way to make them comfortable in that seat and keep them here. There's a problem. If you do not do this for the least of these, you do not do this for me. And so for us, it will always be a tension for us at Grace because I'm willing to devote time and energy to make sure that the lights are good, to make sure that the nurseries run well, that the kids' church, that the youth, that your kids are taken care of, to make sure that, you know, we don't have church for six hours. <laughs> but I'm not willing to compromise what it is to be a Christian. And it will always be uncomfortable to follow Jesus. It will always be political to follow Jesus. It will always be sacrificial to follow Jesus. It will always be a challenge to follow Jesus. Because at the heart of following Jesus is this, putting others first. And no one wants to do that. Nobody. So I encourage you. There will be more challenges and changes at Grace this year and the following, and the following, and the following. And some will challenge you and some won't. But the ones that do challenge you, I encourage you this. Ask yourself, are we doing this? Are we making this change which makes me uncomfortable? Is this in order to take care, to love, to, to be there for 
the least of these, the ones that our culture and our part of the woods are pushing down. Are you okay with that? And if not, that's okay. There are many great churches around here who will not be as uncomfortable as we are. They are good churches. They love Jesus. They're following Jesus to the best of their ability, just like we are. But this is always going to be a tension for us because we can as, as appealing as it would be to be financially comfortable as a church, to have plenty of money, to have all the seats full, to feel like we've accomplished something, numbers are not proof of a community following Jesus. Fruit is the only proof, and fruit is always going to be acts of selfless, sacrificial love. Does this community sacrifice for the love of Jesus? It will always be the test.